With the time we've got this evening, I'd like us to take a look at 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22 deals with some subject matter that we've talked about often in this congregation. The last time that I'm aware this passage was actually dealt with is back in June the 23rd of 2002. So I'd like us to take a look at this and hopefully pull out a few slightly different things than what Brother Jonathan did the last time he dealt with it. 1 Kings chapter 22. We have an incident here of a godly king, King Jehoshaphat, who did something stupid. Don't know how else to put it. To give you a little bit of background, if you were to turn, you don't need to, but if you were to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 18, talks about Jehoshaphat. The fact that he was a good king, but he joined affinity with Ahab. And that right there should make anybody who knows anything about Scripture scratch their heads. If you know and look at Jehoshaphat, he actually went through the land. He went through Judah, who he was king of, and tried to purge out some of the old pagan practices that had crept into the nation to reinstate the full worship of Jehovah. Who was Ahab? Ahab was the king of Israel. Israel had gone astray against the two golden calves. But worse than that, Ahab, from the coaching and encouragement from his wicked wife Jezebel, had actually encouraged and set up the worship of Baal in Israel. So not only did you have the golden calves, but you had Baal worship in Israel. You know, how do you take water and oil and mix them together? Normally they don't mix. That should have been the case here. A godly king serving Jehovah, an ungodly king serving Baal. How did those two mix? But you know, in human society and sin, it can mix. And that's what we want to look at tonight and learn some things from it. In case you didn't know what affinity meant, Scripture helps us out. It tells us over in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 18 that Jehoram, who was Jehoshaphat's son, married Ahab's daughter. So that's what affinity means. You don't need to worry about going to a dictionary to look it up. Scripture tells us what that affinity was. Jehoram married into the line of Ahab. So, with that background, let's just read through this chapter. And we won't read everything, but let's just read some of the highlights of this chapter and think about it. Especially, I want you to think about it from the standpoint of Jehoshaphat. What should he have done? Why was he doing what he did? Because, brethren, he's listed as one of the good kings of Scripture. Brethren, this could be your life or my life if we're not careful. And that's how we want to read this passage and think about it. 1 Kings chapter 22. Starting at verse 1, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year 
that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Okay, so you've got, and if you look at the map, you might say, how did he come down? Because it looks like he went in the wrong direction. Well, where was the capital for Judah? Mount Zion, Jerusalem, on top of a mountain. So when we came down to Samaria, he did have to go down the hill to get to them. But he comes down to visit his fellow father-in-law, you know, the man who was the father of his daughter-in-law. Verse 3, And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? And we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? If you go read other passages, parallel passages to this, you find out that when Jehoshaphat came, Ahab threw a big feast for him. So right in the middle of this feast, as they're sitting there rejoicing and enjoying each other's company, with good food and good drink, Ahab brings up the subject, you know, there's Ramoth Gilead over there. That's our territory. And we don't do anything about it. Verse 4. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art. My people is thy people. My horses is thy horses. Oh, they were tight, weren't they? Why? Why should they be tight? Oh, they had children married to each other. That's it. They didn't share the same religion. They say they shared the same racial background, but they had departed ways long ago. There was nothing else to put these two together other than the fact that they both had some children that happened to be married to each other. And think about that. Just because you've sired a child, what does that mean? You say, Newell, isn't it important that we train and teach our children? They're the heritage of the Lord, aren't they? Yes, they are. But we need to think about that. If anything comes between our love of God, is it of any importance to us or should it be of any importance to us? After all, who gave you that child? Who gave you that conception in the first place? The Lord gave it to you. You didn't just create that process, did you? How many times have you and your wife done the right steps to have, to have had a child and you didn't? What made that one time work? Wasn't your smarts. Wasn't your diligence. It was the Lord granting that conception. And again, I want us to think from a biblical standpoint. A child is a wonderful thing when you do your job properly. Marrying them off to somebody else is not a proper way to conduct yourself. Giving a child into the hands of your enemy? What kind of smarts is that? That's no smarts. That's nothing. That's stupidity. But how many people do we know that, well, that's my child. That's my bloodline. That's what guides them. We keep reading on down. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, 
Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Isn't it interesting? You know, a lot of people will say, well, I like to have relationships with people outside my church because I'm trying to influence them for righteousness. You ever heard that before? You ever heard that? Let's give Jehoshaphat that credit, okay? Maybe that's why he did it. Maybe he was trying to bring Israel back into the fold of Jehovah. We can give him the benefit of the doubt here, right? Because he's saying, well, you know, we're this is a big endeavor we're going at. Can we check and see if Jehovah's behind this? Let's see if he wants us to go about this battle. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, did you notice anything different in those two sentences? They both had the word Lord, didn't they? Let's give that some signification, though. We know why capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is in our Bibles, right? What does that stand for? What did the King James translators mean when they put Lord on caps like that? Jehovah, I am that I am. That's who it's referring to. Let's put this in context then. Jehoshaphat said, Can we inquire of Jehovah to see if... This is something we ought to do. All of Ahab's prophets said, well, we've, God's going to be behind us. Well, isn't that good enough, brethren? I mean, unless you're in a place where you've got absolute atheists, you can go almost anywhere and talk about God, and you'll be accepted, won't you? But what will happen? I can give you a prime example of what will happen if you say something a little different. My grandfather, a number of years ago, was mayor of Greenville. And at that time, they had a prayer breakfast. They still do. And they would invite different people in to pray for the for our community and things like this. It was a big interdenominational thing. And he made one little change when it was the time when he was first mayor to, to that uh, affair. He wanted to make sure that the name of Jesus Christ was listed, tacked on at the end of those prayers. No big thing, right? Here in Greenville, the buckle of the Bible Belt. The Ministerial Association made sure the following years, A, they held their own meeting without the mayor. Because we don't want to offend someone who doesn't want to use the name of Jesus in our prayers, do we? It's here in Greenville, brethren. You start talking about, you can hear people all the time say, oh, the Lord did this for me. The Lord did that. Well, start saying, well, the Lord Jesus Christ did this for me. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself not invited to those meetings any longer. Or people getting offended. But notice, the majority, 400 of them were talking about God here, Right? We read the next verse. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? 
See, Jehoshaphat still could understand. He could tell the difference between Jehovah versus the Lord they were talking about. So he says, well, can we just get some confirmation from one of Jehovah's prophets? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Oh, let not the king say so. See, he's here he's trying to get his influence in there, isn't he? Oh, don't be so upset because Micaiah doesn't say exactly what you want. Notice, what did Ahab have against Micaiah? Micaiah was just a messenger delivering a message, right? Ahab didn't like the message. Ahab did not like the message that Micaiah consistently delivered. Verse 9, Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. If we were to read on, we would see that you've got the head of the procession of Baal who's, who makes some special props to get his point across that they're going to win the battle. You come down to verse 12. All the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper. For the Lord... Oh, now, now when they know what needs to be said, now they say Jehovah shall deliver it into the king's hand. In the meantime, though, the messengers found Micaiah. And see, he's a smart man, this messenger. He understands that there's a particular message that needs to be delivered. Verse 13, And the messenger that was gone to Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. I mean, we're all here in agreement, brother. This is not the time or the place to be letting little petty things separate us. It's a great event we're talking about here. We, you, you want to be with the rest of the, the ministerial association on this. And here's what they're all suggesting and saying. Bless his heart. What does Micaiah have to say to that? Verse 14, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, I will speak. So, he comes into the to the throne room area. Verse 15, he came to the king. And the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go up and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Glory be. He gives the answer that everybody wants. I can just hear the rest of the prophets there, just big sigh of relief, you know, he, here's this guy that's always causing trouble, but he's agreeing with us. But what's Ahab's response? And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is in the name of the Lord? He doesn't believe him. He may have come up with a slightly ironic phrase to it, but you know, 
The point of the matter is, brethren, the wicked don't like the righteous. It doesn't matter what you say. You could go out and say it's, it's, it's dark outside right now and the wicked's going to want to say, well, somewhere in the world it's light. They just want to be contrary. The two do not mix. Really, it wouldn't have mattered what Micaiah said at this point. Ahab didn't like him and was not going to accept anything he had to say. But our brother Micaiah went on and said, explained to them exactly what was going on. We've read this before. That beautiful scene in heaven where the Lord says, you know what? I want to destroy Ahab. Angelic host, give me some ideas. What's the best way to go about doing that? You know, and one angel raises his hand over there. He said, and the Lord says, okay, what do you think? Well, why don't we do this? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Another one raises his hand. He says, well, Lord, we, we can do this. Ah, that's, that's another interesting idea. Finally, one of them raises his hand and says, Lord, I can convince him. So he'll go into battle and die. Oh, how are you going to do that? I'll put a lie in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he'll believe that. Good idea. Go and do it. Go and prosper. Now we've seen that before, brethren. But think about it now from the context of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat's entrance into this picture. Because we come down, verse 29. After he's explained this, after Micaiah's explained all this, that what's going to happen... Notice, he tells them the truth. You're going to go up to die in battle, Ahab. The Lord wants you dead. And here's the means by which he's done it. All your prophets over here, they're lying to you. And of course, they get incensed with that. The one leading the pack in particular. And Micaiah has some things to say to him. But that's not germane to what we're talking about. What, with the truth presented to them, both a wicked king and a righteous king. The truth has been presented to them. What do they do? Ahab says, take him away, put him in jail until we come back from the battle. And he says, hey, if, I, if you come back from the battle, I haven't spoken what the Lord said. Everybody note that. Then, verse 29, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Excuse me? You've just had Jehoshaphat, a prophet of Jehovah, tell you what the outcome of that battle is going to be. A loss, and definitely the loss of the king of Israel. Why are you going? Why did he go, brethren? What did that intrepid angel say that he was going to do put a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets all we can think is that Jehoshaphat also ended up believing that lying spirit it gets better or worse verse 30 and the king of Israel said in Jehoshaphat I will disguise myself and enter into the battle but put thou on thy robes and the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Oh, 
So normally in battle, who is it that people really like to fight with and like to take on? Is it the, the lower level foot soldiers and archers and chariot drivers? Or is it the heads of the army? Oh, even better, the king, right? And we find out in the next few verses, what did the king of Syria actually told his troops to do? Don't worry about any of the riffraff. Don't worry about any of the lower echelons. You go for the king of Israel. I want his head. The bounty on his head. Bring him to me. So that's exactly who they went after. So there's Jehoshaphat driving into battle, and all of a sudden, the best troops on the enemy's side are all focused on his place of the battle, coming after him. And it's only when they finally realize, wait a minute, those colors, that's not Israel. That's Judah. Oh, that's the king of Judah we're taught, we're dealing with here. Oh, forget him. Where's the king of Israel? We need to find him. It's only when they realize that, that his life is spared. Do you get the picture, brethren? Because of his affiliation with Ahab, he put his life on the line in a battle where the Lord had specifically told him what the outcome was going to be. And then verse 34, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the loins, the joints, excuse me, of the of his harness. Wherefore he said unto his driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host. I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, verse 35, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. And behold, the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. Verse 37, So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And if you look at the details there, it's very interesting. Their exact match of what Lord had prophesied through one of his servants would happen to Ahab because he'd killed a righteous man, Naboth, for his vineyard. If you go read on, you'll find out that Jehoshaphat survived. He went home. He made it out of the battle. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 19, and let's see what the Lord had to say to him. I don't want to end it right now before we make our observations. We have one more thing we want to look at. It's three verses. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verses, the first three verses. Second Chronicles 18 is the parallel passage to what we just read in Kings. It talks about all that's happened. So immediately after the battle is what we're reading about. Verse 1 of chapter 19, And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to the king Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. God was upset with him. Fortunately for him, it doesn't stop there. Verse 3, Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land 
and has prepared thine heart to seek God. Because he was a good king, because he had taken steps to remove the pagan worship out of Judah, and because he had personally sought the Lord, the Lord spared him. But he had a strong rebuke after almost losing his life in battle. What are some of the lessons and things that we can observe here? First of all, ties, especially family ties, to the wicked are wrong. They're wrong and they're dangerous. Second, efforts to influence the wicked or the worldly, they don't work. I mean, look at the kindness, look at the unity that Jehoshaphat offered. What did he get in return? Almost lost his life. Right? What happens when you try to compromise with the world, with people of the world? Well, first of all, it's the righteous that have to compromise. Notice, when he said, is there somebody else we can, where did Ahab go to first and foremost to get support for his position? Did he go to a prophet of Jehovah? No, he brought, he trotted out his own prophets, right? 400 of them. Nice big group, all in lockstep with exactly what he wanted. Why did he not want Micaiah there? Why was he not even invited? Wouldn't you think it'd be common courtesy? Jehovah is the God of Jehoshaphat. So I'm going to at least have a token here for him, aren't I? No. No, the wicked could care less about your convictions, brothers. And if anybody's going to compromise in that arrangement, it's going to be you, not them. They don't see any reason to compromise. Notice, the wicked always have reasons for what they do. Well, why don't you like him? He doesn't say good things about me. Well, are there good things to be said about you? I mean, you've torn, you, you've totally rejected the worship of his God. Why shouldn't he say bad things about you? You know, notice it didn't come down to a matter of truth. It was back to a matter of, I just don't like him. The wicked will always have reasons, brothers and sisters, for what they do, but they're never good reasons. Notice, he hated the messenger and the message he delivered. How can you, if he hates the messenger, representing the God that you worship, am I making sense? Why is he going to want you around for very long? Well, he won't mind having you around because he already said to stay around him, you're going to have to compromise, right? Oh, he'll love you then. Notice, the wicked are implacable. What does that word mean? Can somebody help me? They can't be pleased. Micaiah, he never says anything good about me. I want to go into battle against the Syrians. So Micaiah comes in and says, go up to the battle and prosper. Now he's lying to me now. 
you know, even a, even a nor, even a normal rational man would try to take what he said, ignore the irony and say, see, he's agreeing with us, we can go up. But the wicked are so perverse that they just want to, you know, take that as a means to fight. What are you saying how to go up and prosper? Ah, you're lying to me. You never say anything good to me. You can't be saying anything good to me now. And from that we can see, brethren, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll always be in the wrong. When you're dealing with the wicked, you're always going to be in the wrong. What did he do when he had the proclamation from a man of God about the end result? What God's will in the matter was. What was God's will in this matter? Kill Ahab. So what did Ahab do? Did he fall on his knees and say, Oh Lord, forgive me because I'm, I've done something stupid and I, I shouldn't have done that? He did that earlier in life, didn't he? One time. What did he do this time? I tell you what, Jehoshaphat, let's do this. You go in battle looking like a king. I'm going to go looking like one of the archers. We'll put one over on him, won't we? See, the wicked are going to try to circumvent God's will in anything they do. Even if they're confronted with what the will of God is, they don't care. They want to circumvent it. But the really amazing thing, brethren, is what did Jehoshaphat do when confronted with that argument? What did he say? You're crazy. That's the Lord Jehovah. He's going to kill you in battle. No. Jehoshaphat said, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, let me get my robes on and you go hide and yeah, we'll have a good time in battle. Duh. But brethren, if you're a compromised man or woman, you're in trouble. You've already aligned yourself with the enemies of God. God has already sent somebody to send delusion to Him to punish Him. How do you know you're not going to be part of the same punishment? How do you know when that net comes to drag him out, you're not going to be in that same net with him? In this case, the Lord spared him. How do you know he'll spare you? You don't. Notice, Jehoshaphat was just as blind as Ahab was. The blinders that were on Ahab to say, I can pull one over on the Lord were the same blinders that were on Jehoshaphat. Brethren, Scripture is given to us for our instruction and for our warning. You cannot compromise with this world. And in this case, I'm not talking about an abstract concept of the world. I'm talking about where it hits us. You cannot compromise with the people of this world. Whether they're just simply worldly or they're all the way to wicked, it doesn't matter. If they're not led by the Spirit of God, they don't want what you have. They will expect you to compromise to be with them. They will not like the message you have to deliver. So either, I mean, if you keep delivering the message, you'll be out. What's the only way you can stay with them? Stop delivering the message. Modify the message. Compromise the message. Either way, 
you're not doing them any good and you're only doing yourself damage. You're putting yourself into trouble. Only because he had some good things in him previously and still did the Lord spare him after this battle. So brethren, we need to think about these things. We need to consider our lives. We need to consider our associations. And notice, where did it come from to start with? He allowed that affinity. He allowed it to start with. Then he just had to defend that, didn't he? And he was just trying to make sure that everything was okay for his son and his daughter-in-law with in-law Ahab. And, oh, you want to go to battle? Oh, sure. Well, let's check in the Lord. Oh, but, oh, you want to go to battle? Oh, fine, sure, let's do it. Let's make peace. After all, family is the most important thing, isn't it? That's how it starts, brethren. You make a wrong choice up here, and then you're constantly having to defend that wrong choice, leading you further and further away. May God help us that we can be wise men and women and make sure we don't even let that train of folly start in the first place.